50 years ago this week, President Richard Nixon signed the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act into law. That signature established a tribal economic system unlike anything else in the world, through which indigenous people in Alaska could set up corporations and distribute revenue to shareholders. But what should the next 50 years look like? We're discussing the future of ANCSA today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter. This weekend, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act will reach a 50-year milestone. Sunset clauses in the original legislation would have ended much of the act after 20 years, but amendments have helped it survive. Today, a dozen regional corporations and nearly 200 village corporations account for billions of dollars in annual revenue. That revenue is shared among the corporations and with tribal shareholders who receive dividends from that income throughout Alaska and beyond. There are many successes, but there are still people left unsatisfied with the way ANCSA was written and the role that it required Native people to fill. We've discussed the history and the current status of ANCSA on previous shows. Today, we're focusing on the path forward. Joining me to discuss that are Marina Anderson, She's the executive director of the organized village of Kassan on Prince of Wales Island, a federally recognized tribe, and Andrea Gusty, CEO and president of the Kuskokwim Corporation in Bethel. Thanks for being here, Andrea and Marina. We'll hear perspectives. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being here. We'll hear perspectives from a number of other people during the show, and of course, we want to hear from you too. What do you have to share as we approach the 50th anniversary of ANCSA? What priorities do you hope to see change or persist in the coming decades? You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-478-8255 statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. The local number is 907-550-8422, or you can email talk at alaskapublic.org. We should also mention that the annual Alaska Federation of Natives Conference is going on virtually right now, yesterday and today. AFN is Alaska's largest statewide Native organization, and it was created initially to address the land claims issue that ANCSA resolved, at least on paper, depending on your opinion. You can find uh, live coverage of the conference on KNBA and online. So, Andrea and Marina, I want to give you both a chance to introduce yourselves and give us your initial thoughts on ANCSA as leaders and shareholders. So, uh, Andrea, why don't you go first? What's been on your mind lately with the 50th anniversary approaching? Hey, good morning. Um, You know, a lot has been on my mind. We are 50 years into what many consider an experiment, um, and many of our Native corporations across the state are thriving, and in ways that I don't think anybody 50 years ago would have thought was necessarily possible. Uh, For the Kuskokwim Corporation, we are based in Anchorage. Our region is 10 villages on the middle Kuskokwim. 
1977, those 10 villages knew that we were stronger together than apart, and so we merged. So we are one of the largest village corporations in the state of Alaska. We currently have um, employees in 40 different states, 17 separate subsidiaries, and we're doing the work of bringing home resources for our people to improve their lives and and everybody in our region. And so for us, ANCSA is working. Uh, and we've been very successful with our ability to diversify and weather some of the storms over the last 50 years. And we're focused on setting ourselves up for the next 50 uh, to make sure that we can continue to be successful for our shareholders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Marina, what about you? What's been your experience with ANGSA as a shareholder and a you know, young leader? Yeah, thank you. Um, my experience with ANGSA has been interesting. I'm fairly young myself, and I've become to recognize that ANGSA is also very young. Being only 50 years old, it's less than an average lifetime. And um, I'm really appreciative of the people who were at the table when INCSA was written. I know that the act does have its faults that have hindered us. But at the same time, when our people were at the table writing INCSA, they knew that it wasn't final. They knew that we could continue to adapt it just as we always do as Indigenous people. And so I believe that INCSA is working for us um, because we are able to control it in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of discussion about the 50th anniversary for the last few months, and I'm sure there will be for the coming year. But still, a lot of Alaskans really don't know much about Native corporations or understand what was so pivotal about this particular piece of legislation. Marina, you mentioned to me when we spoke before uh, that you often hear people talk about ANCSA as if it gave Alaska Native people land. So, Explain to us why that's not correct. Yes, it's very incorrect because INCSA did not give Alaska Native people any land. Um, The Alaska Native people that have inhabited this state have been here long before this was a state, long before this was a territory. And all INCSA did was um, settled the land um, agreement and made it so that Alaska Native people could retain a very small portion of the land that we had always stewarded. Mm-hmm. Right, and we covered that uh, sort of origin story extensively in the first uh, Talk of Alaska episode where we talked with some of the f- um, people who wrote the legislation. Uh, Andrea, can you pick it up here? When we talk about Anx's future, we're really talking about you know, sustainability moving forward, and you've pointed that out in our previous conversations. So what does that mean for individual corporations, especially when it comes to 7i and 7j? Absolutely. So as Marina said, we have been caretakers of the land for generations before, generations, more generations than we can count. And so when ANCSA handed the management, official management, um, when our, our forefathers and foremothers fought for that for our corporations, it kind of changed the way that Alaska operates. And so for the Kuskokwim Corporation, we manage nearly a million acres of land in the middle Kuskokwim, uh, and we manage that for the benefit of all our shareholders. We have about a third of our shareholders living in the region, um, about a third in the Anchorage area, and the rest are scattered all over the nation. And so when we think about the management of our land, it's 
we manage it not only for subsistence, which is so so important culturally to us, um, but also we have to think in terms of development. And we have a couple of development projects on our land. We have a small timber operation um, in partnership with one of our tribes. And we also have um, a, a potential gold mine on our land as well. And so when we think about the future of ANCSA, it's really, really important to think about some of the framework of the legislation was that Native corporations share through 7I and 7J. So 7I is a provision in ANCSA that says that all the 12 Native corporations um, will share resource development money. So right now, over the past 50 years, the bulk of that resource development money has come from the North Slope and Red Dog Mine. Um, and the income that is generated from the management of those native lands is shared among the corporations at the regional level. And then 7J is the provision of ANCSA in which the regional corporations share with their village corporations. So in effect, what's happened over the last 50 years is every native person who's a shareholder in uh, not even in the state, the state and beyond, every sh native shareholder of a corporation has received a dividend um, and income thanks to those development opportunities. So as we look forward to the future, we know that oil on the North Slope isn't as easy to get as it was once was. The, the pipeline is not as full as it once was. The income generated and the income that is coming to all of Alaska, including Native people through their corporations, is lessening. The same with Red Dog Mine. Uh, there was a story on um, this radio station just a few days ago that talked about uh, Red Dog Mine on the Native land that it sits on has about 10 more years in its life. And so the sharing system that to now, the bulk of that sharing has come from two major development projects, those are, are essentially drying up. And so what is the future of ANCSA? We don't really know. That's not a clear picture because we don't know what the future of that sharing of revenue is going to be because there is not another comparable large development project on native land that could fill that immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, actually that reporting series that you just mentioned, uh, that's the ANCSA at 50 series. Uh, it was a collaboration between Alaska Public Media, Indian Country Today, and the Anchorage Daily News for the 50th anniversary. And we actually have a clip, uh, an excerpt of a different story that Nat Hers reported. Um, you can find the full coverage at alaskapublic.org slash ANCSA at 50. But let's go ahead and listen to an excerpt of the story. Um, in this one, Nat is re reports on the generational divide ANCSA created for those born before and after 1971. To qualify as an original shareholder under the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, you had to be born by December 18th of 1971. I was born in 1972. This is Jared Godfrey. I am... Alaska Native. My parents both uh, originally come from the Kodiak Islands, and their lineage is traced to two different villages uh, in the Kodiak archipelago. Godfrey has siblings who were born before the deadline, but he wasn't, which means that growing up, he didn't own shares in his village or regional corporation and couldn't vote in its elections. He admits feeling a little resentful as he watched his siblings get yearly checks in the thousands of dollars. And he remembers being asked as a teenager to help stuff envelopes by his father, who was running for a seat on a native corporation board. And he says, don't you want your dad 
to be elected to your you know, native corporation? I said, it's not my native corporation. It's Glenn Jr.'s, it's Valerie's, it's Jenna's. It's not, it's yours, it's not my corporation. So I'll take a pass. And <laughs> I went downstairs and turned on the TV. This divide between the groups known as original shareholders and descendants plays out in lots of different ways related to land and money. Like how Mitch Gatton can't find a place to build a home in his hometown of Ukjalvik and instead lives in this aging rented home with his wife and four kids. I'll show you. I'll, I'll turn the water on. And I've got a... See, you can hear a sump pump kick on. I've got a sump pump. Takes the water from my kitchen sink, pumps it all the way up, dumps it down into my bathroom, which goes to a septic tank out there. Gatton isn't hooked up to city water and has to get it delivered every day. He desperately wants a lot where he could build a home for his young family. But he and others say that even amid a regional housing crisis on the North Slope, the village corporation that owns much of the land in Utkjalvik, UIC, is moving far too slowly to make property available to young people. What good is land if you're not going to develop it? You know, uh, I mean, it just, yeah, it seems quite selfish to me for them to hold hold lands with road access and, and, and we have to live in subpar conditions like this. Younger natives like Gatton say they'd push their corporations in new directions if they had more of a voice in their affairs. One way that could happen is if the corporations create new shares to give to descendants, which would give them more influence in corporate elections for seats on the board of directors. But there's resistance to that idea. And so far, it's only happened at about half the big regional native corporations and at just a handful of the more than 100 village corporations. One reason is power. Some original shareholders say they aren't ready to cede control over the corporations to descendants. But there's also a more basic explanation. More shares equals fewer dollars in dividends paid for each share. That was just a short excerpt of a longer story and one of several, uh, I believe five stories, in Nat's reporting series, Anxa at 50. And you can find the full version and all of our coverage online at alaskapublic.org slash Anxa 50. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter. I'm joined today by Marina Anderson and Andrea Gusty, and we are discussing the future of Anxa, the next 50 years and beyond. Uh, so uh, I want to bring in, you know, this topic of descendant shares um, and the sort of generational divide that Anxa created between those who were born before 1971 and those born after. So, you know, opening up enrollment to descendants of original shareholders is no small undertaking, but half of the 12 regional corporations and a large, a good number of village corporations have done it so far. So Andrea, TKC was one of the first village corporations to, to do so. Is that right? That's absolutely right. We opened up um, to those born after 1971, myself included, in 1994 was our first vote. And um, the way that we did it um, is each one of our shareholders, and really it, uh, under ANSA, requires that Native corporations go back to their shareholders and either create a new type of stock or um, kind of change the rules within ANSA. Um, to allow stock for those born after 1971. And TKC, I'm proud to say, actually did it twice. So 
So what you see is um, some other corporations have opened the doors and have ballooned from like 4,000 to 34,000. Uh, Chalista was one of those corporations uh, basically in a year. The way TKC's uh, shareholders uh, voted to do it was to open up a limited number of shares, 2,000 at a time, um, so that 2,000 uh, of our children born after 1971 could be part of our corporation. And then we did it again in 2010. And so when these shares are exhausted, when all of our children have um, uh, claimed this group of shares, then we will go back to our shareholders and ask them, okay, do you want to do it again? Um, and so we have really created, and from the beginning, you know, TKC formed in 1977. By, by 1994, we had enrolled our descendants. And so really from the beginning, our corporation has been one that values all generations. And so the generational divide that um, Nat referenced in his story um, was not really one that we necessarily had in the middle cup of them because we were so early to enroll our shareholders and have everybody be part of our corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so important. I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating that, you know, that was TKC's uh, solution was to do this incrementally. But another uh, really large regional corporation like Chalista, obviously, it just went full full tilt, you know, um, and that is has to be quite, you know, just logistically a huge undertaking to add that many people to the roles at once. But it just goes to show you how, uh, you know, subjective and individual each of these corporations is, that they have their own, obviously, shareholder uh, values and their own uh, ways of deciding these things and moving forward. And and so, you know, it's just an important disclaimer, I think, to make at any point talking about ANCSA that no one speaks on behalf of uh, every single corporation. And obviously, our guests today are speaking on behalf of their experiences and their uh, the organizations and, um, you know, corporations that they have uh, experience with. So uh, I want to give out the statewide and local numbers. Again, if you would like to join this conversation, the statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. And you can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Marina, uh, as a person yourself who was born long after 1971 and now serves in a leadership role for your tribe, uh, what kind of opportunities exist for young people that want to take part in their regional and village corporations? Are there paths for them to become more involved directly? Yes, there are paths for everybody to, to become involved directly. Um, and I can speak to Southeast Alaska specifically with our regional corporation and our village corporations. Um, we've been working really hard together collectively as a region to really make sure that we're creating a sustainable economy that is strategic here, where we can steward our lands in healthy ways. We can live in our villages or in our bigger communities, bigger villages, as I'll say, um, and still do the good work that's happening. We've got incredible things such as like habitat restoration programs that are popping up with um, pathways to get people from young ages of youth um, all the way till adults engaged along these journeys. And then, of course, there are the um, different programs that are offered, such as the 
internship programs and um, culture camps are also very, very important for our youth and our young people because that's when um, they're able to become rooted with the traditions and the values of our people as well. And that's usually where the the big conversations start picking up. Um, But I would say that, you know, our corporations in Southeast Alaska are very supportive of the future of our youth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Marina, it's a little, we, we can definitely make out what you're saying, but there is a little bit of choppiness on your line. So I know that there's a lot of weather going on in Southeast, uh, wintry weather. So that might be part of it, but we'll, we'll, if it becomes an issue, we'll reconnect with you. But um, uh, thank you for that. And And Andrea, I wanted to uh, also bring in the topic of, you know, the the voting shares. And I don't know exactly how this works for TKC, but my understanding is that for uh, some corporations, the amount of shares you uh, have, you possess, it also translates to the amount of votes that you get when it comes to board elections and things like that. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Um, And... You know, Inksa definitely, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And uh, could things have been written in Inksa differently back in 1971 and, and again when the amendments were made? Absolutely. And maybe the, the results were, would have been different. But I think one strength we have as Native people collectively is our ability to adapt and work within the systems that, uh, that are provided to us. And Inksa is the system we are working within. And so... It does allow the law, INCSA, flexibility for Native corporations to come up with the rules that work for them, again, within the boundaries of um, what is allowable under that federal law. And so for us at TKC, the Cuscoquim Corporation, we voted as shareholders collectively to enroll our descendants, those born after 1971, with 100 shares, which is the number of shares that our original shareholders had. And so in 1977, we had just over uh, 1,000 shareholders. And today we have about 4,200. And each one of those shareholders is has the same number of shares as everybody else. Um, one important thing to, to point out is original shares, so those people that were alive in 1971 and enrolled in the Native Corporation, um, their shares can be inherited. So they can pass those shares down to their family, to their children, their grandchildren, and all the way down the line. Um, our descendant shares, those shares for people born after 1971, after I pass away, my shares will go back to the corporation because I am not an original shareholder, but my father's shares can be passed down through the family. And so um, when it comes to the question of voting, anytime you add any new voters, whether that be for a state election, a federal election, the discussion is around how do you engage those young people? How do you engage those new voters? And Native corporations are faced with the same questions every year. We have um, to, at least at TKC, we have to have 50% plus one of our shares voted at every annual meeting in order to conduct business. That means um, more than half of our shareholders have to vote in an election via proxy or in person to make our business valid. 
And so that is a much higher threshold. Imagine if here at the municipality of Anchorage, they required at least 50% of the voters to vote. I mean, we'd never get anything done, right? But at Native Corporations, we have this higher threshold created by ANCSA. And so we have a larger obligation and a duty to engage our shareholders, no matter their age, um, from the beginning in order to conduct those annual meeting businesses. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, I'm, well, maybe not obviously, but it does feel like uh, sort of hand in hand with that goes uh, some of the support that corporations offer to young people, especially through scholarships and through internship opportunities and, and things like that. Is that all sort of uh, also, you know, keeping in mind, trying to uh, keep them invested in their organization? And obviously, it's for the good of everyone that um, people have assistance with education and things. Absolutely. We reach people. Uh, we try to reach people immediately. We um, enroll our younger shareholders in Dolly Parton's book program. We offer two scholarship foundations to assist our shareholders in any higher education they want, whether that be vocational or um, a stitching school or whether they want to go and pursue a four-year degree or beyond. And so we also provide culture camps, like Marina stated. You know, so we, we walk this line that corporations are more than just a business, right? We're not just cold, hard business, cold, hard numbers. We also um, have an obligation to our people to reach them in social service ways as well. Um, and reach uh, them culturally. And, and when we talk about improving the lives of our shareholders and what we work towards every day, it is both of those things. We have our businesses operating in the lower 48 in TKC's case. Those businesses bring home the money to support our shareholders with our social service programs. Mm-hmm. Well, Marina, I think we've uh, got you back now. Hopefully the phone is uh, a little bit clearer. But um, I wanted to ask, so discretionary voting, going back to the issue of, you know, shares translating to the number of votes you have. And I uh, believe that discretionary voting is something that you have talked about in the past um, as, you know, sort of um, a controversial topic, at least in your experience with corporations. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, it has been controversial for a long time. And and the reason why it is so controversial is because the discretionary voting really does control the outcome of the votes. And it has been very hard for the shareholders to be able to um, properly elect the people that um, we would like to see be leading. And and this is in, um, you know, no disrespect to our current leaders because they're all doing an incredible job. However, that discretionary vote does prohibit us and it does to an extent take away some of our um, rights and our weight with our votes as well. And so it's been controlling the outcome for so long that we're not able to properly place into the leadership positions the people that we know we need in those positions to make this shift, especially when we're at this 50-year point and we have... um, Collectively in the state, you know, as corporations, we've gone through a lot of our natural resources, as we've discussed earlier. In southeast Alaska, we have logged a lot of our timber. And so as we're making a transition, we need some new thoughts at the table, and we need to be able to elect those leaders to make those choices for us. 
And so when it comes to, you know, advocating for that kind of change, what uh, what path is there, um, especially for I imagine this is a, an issue that is especially um, something that younger people like yourself are advocating for? The path that's there is for us to, to vote out the discretionary vote so that we can continue um, without it in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that for everybody, that that's something different. That's making sure that you have access to voting, whether it's online voting or m- voting by mail, being able to have access to get to the post office to receive it and to send it back in. Um those are some of the things that I, I do believe prohibit a lot of our decisions being made. Mm-hmm. Well, Marina, uh, is there anything else, you know, as uh, a young person who is very active in uh, sort of all aspects of uh, your tribe and your community, um, but also, uh, you know, some uh, your village corporation, I believe you're, you're right, you're a shareholder as well as your regional. Um, are there any gaps that you see? for uh, involving more people, um, especially young people who leave and then want to come back uh, and and be involved in their corporation? Do you see any gaps there? Yeah, there are some gaps. And we heard earlier about um, land and not having access for housing. We run into that all over the place. Um, When, you know, colonization first happened here, and then the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act happened. Um, tribes were developed. Our communities were not set up for more than one generation. If you go through the villages, you can see just enough houses for the previous generation. There is not physically room for the villages, a lot of the villages to expand or a lot of the communities to expand. Um, so I know that hinders a lot of people from being able to come back home. Uh, There are no places to rent in certain communities, so there's physically nowhere to go. Um, I think we're working hard to make room for people to come home, make room for people to um, have a more active voice at the corporation level. Um, A big shift that we have a lot made is putting things online more and giving that access to our shareholders who are not living locally. Um, And I... You know, I'm on the board of directors for my village corporation. I'm a shareholder of our regional corporation, and I'm also the executive director of our tribe. And I'm also a resident of the state of Alaska and the city of Craig. And what I envision is us working together to really be able to um, create this holistic area with all of our resources by taking the landmass that the corporation has and the uh, jurisdiction that the tribe has and putting that together for habitat restoration, for joint stewardship, for applying for tribal police officer dollars to make up for the state shortfall. Um, There are so many different things that I know that we have the capability to do, especially if we can get tribes, corporations, cities, the state and the feds all to collectively see that vision for our youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of coordination, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that relationship and a sp- specifically between the tribes and the corporations later in the show. Uh, right now, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Andrea Gusty, CEO and president of the Kuskokwim Corporation, and Marina Anderson, executive director of the Organized Village of Kassan. And we want to hear from you, too. 
Are you a shareholder or a descendant? What ANCSA-related topics do you feel are most critical to address in the next 50 years? Call us and share your thoughts. The statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. And again, you can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Today's program is underwritten in part by... ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter. If you're just joining us, we are discussing the future of ANCSA as we approach the 50th anniversary this weekend. Let's uh, listen to another excerpt from the ANCSA at 50 reporting series. For decades, Sea Alaska Corporation harvested old-growth timber from the Tongass National Forest. The business was profitable, but it divided communities and even pitted family members against each other. Now, Sea Alaska is getting paid millions to leave trees standing— and it's looking toward the ocean for profits, too. Nat Hers took a trip to Juneau to see how Sea Alaska is seeking to better merge the business with its indigenous values. Sea Alaska's chief executive, Anthony Malott, is Clinkett and grew up in Yakutat. But his professional background is in decidedly urban realms of finance and investing. And he says that when he started working at Sea Alaska, its leaders and the leaders of other native regional corporations had spent decades leaning away from their culture. There was a pretty heavy mantra that your fiduciary duty just to make money, don't let the community stuff or the value stuff get in that way, or you may risk foregoing your fiduciary duty. We called it hiding behind the fiduciary shield. Since Sea Alaska's creation in 1972 following the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, its experience with capitalism could best be described as mixed. It invested in and divested itself from a string of businesses that didn't really stick, including a plastics company that made Brita water containers and caps for jugs of Tide detergent. We had Alaska Brick Company, we had a tow company, logistics company. I mean, you could go down the history list. We never had the right formula to grow and create the economic value from those businesses that we needed. Alaska did have one business that consistently made money, but it was polarizing. Commercial timber harvesting. Many shareholders supported logging, but many shareholders opposed it because of clear cutting's impacts on subsistence hunting and salmon harvesting. A few years into Malat's career at Sea Alaska, the corporation was running out of timber to cut. Its other subsidiaries were running into serious problems. And in 2013, cost overruns at a construction project caused huge losses. 
the Alaska decided to sell nearly all of its businesses. It was a financial crisis okay. that gave us full mandate to make significant change. This was the point when Sea Alaska leaders really began bringing indigenous values into the boardroom, starting with developing a vision around Ha'ani, their ancestral homelands. Ultimately, the corporation reorganized its businesses around an ocean health theme, which leaders say reflects their growing awareness of the threats posed by climate change. Nelson, the board chairman, says Sea Alaska realized it had to invest in things its shareholders and leaders cared about and were interested in, and describes the new approach in opposite terms from the old one. The old one, he says, was thinking, We're going to be indigenous culture bearers, you know, on the weekends, but from Monday to Friday, we're going to be in the boardroom doing business capitalists and separating those things. Uh, and you, you really shouldn't separate those two things. Again, you can find the full version of that story and our other coverage of ANGSA at 50 on alaskapublic.org slash ANGSA50. Marina, uh, we touched on this, and there's an ongoing legacy of logging on Prince of Wales Island where you live. So how do you feel about Sea Alaska's stated goals here to redirect investments away from old-growth logging? I am highly supportive of Alaska's redirection. Um, the value in our timber is when it's standing on the land. Uh, sea Alaska has been losing money through logging. The Department of Agriculture has been losing money through logging. It's really not a profitable economy up here anymore. Um, and at the same time, we're reclaiming our identity. We have more carvers. We have more people. We have an entire economy of people that are relying on having access to that timber and having it standing and having it stay intact so that our salmon streams are healthy, so that we have healthy watersheds and so that we have, you know, the land, the intact land that's always taking care of us um, there for when we need it. So I'm highly, highly, highly supportive of that redirection. And I know that that's the direction that my generation of shareholders and descendants of shareholders that's the direction that we want. That's where we want to go. We are so appreciative of the people that were there and helped write INCSA. My father was a logger. I'm appreciative of the life that it gave me, how it kept the roof over my head. But we've seen what it's done to the lands. We've seen what it's done to our economy with a boom and bust economy. We see what it's done to our women when we have, you know, these, these man camps pop up around us. And we're saying no more, and our corporation is following suit with that as well. And so I'm very, very, very happy with that redirection. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, if you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. My guests today are Marina Anderson, the uh, executive director of the Organized Village of Kassan on Prince of Wales, and we have Andrea Gusty, CEO and president of the Kuskokwim Corporation. Uh, Andrea, you have already mentioned um, earlier some of the natural resource investments uh, that TKC has in the Bethel uh, Kuskokwim region. Uh, so are, are you making similar assessments about how to develop natural resources going forward? I think you mentioned logging, a potential gold mine, uh, and others. Absolutely. Thank you. And I just want to go back to the discretionary voting question before the oh, break. Yeah, go ahead. I want to make it clear that discretionary voting is not something that happens at every Native corporation. Again, ANCSA allowed Native corporations to make the rules 
that um, within the law that they wanted to. So at the Cuscoe Corporation, we've never had ex- discretionary voting. And so when we look at the leadership, it very, very closely reflects our shareholder base. Our, we have 83% of our shareholders are those born after 1971. And similarly, our board is mostly Class B, those born after 1971, eight of our 12. We also have eight of our 12 uh, are women, and the majority of our shareholders are female. And so I think that it's really, really important as we're having these discussions about ANSA to, to make it clear that every Native corporation is different. And if you line up the um, more than 200 corporations that ANCSA created side by side, not one is going to be the same as the other. And so when we go back to how we manage our resources, all of that is going to be different as well. For the Cuscoquim Corporation, I mentioned at the beginning uh, that we have nearly a million acres of land that we manage, and we actually have a natural resource policy that states that traditional use, conservation, and development must all be in balance. One of those cannot advance above the other. And so we have development on our land. We have responsible timber harvest. Uh, that's in partnership of one of our tribes, the native village of Nepinute. Um, and we have reforestation requirements. And so for every tree that is cut down, we plant another one. Um, and so that is something that is done very responsibly. We have conservation areas on our land. Um, we have, of course, traditional use. We, for our um, moose hunting season, we shut down our land to everybody but shareholders so that we make sure that the resources are there for our people. And then we also have um, one of the largest potential gold mines. We have Donlin Gold on our land. We are the surface owners um, of that potential uh, gold mine project. And because we are involved in this potential project, we are able to insert additional oversight and additional partnership and additional shareholder hire requirements um, for this potentially a uh, potential mine that would be done in a modern, responsible way. We believe so firmly that development goes hand in hand with traditional use. Development goes hand in hand with conservation, and we actually require it for any activities on our land. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, throwing back to the clip that we just heard, what do you think about uh, what Anthony Malat, CEO of Sea Alaska Corp., talked about with the fiduciary shield that seemed to be the standard operating procedure for at least some corporations in the past? Do you feel that that's uh, never been a part of TKC's, you know, way of doing business, um, but it is maybe a trend that has, you know, been is falling out of popularity? I don't think we ever had a fiduciary shield um, in the way that was mentioned in the story. What we have seen is is great success in the lower 48 with our businesses that we are able to bring that money home. And so for the Cuscoquim Corporation, it was never either or, right? It was both. We needed to have business success, but we also needed to support our people and be that that social um, entity as well, that cultural entity, um, and working hand-in-hand hand with our tribes and our people in the region and beyond to, in order to make that happen. I think for our leadership and our board of directors, what's been so important to us is diversity. And so we are involved in aviation. We're involved in aerospace and uh, civil contracting and federal 
um, support. And so we have 17 subsidiaries that are very diverse. And so when one is having a low year, others bring it up. And so we're able to, with that diversity, um, kind of stay the course and weather many, many storms that we've seen over the last 50 years. I think it's really telling for us that the one business that we have based in the region, we don't want to make a penny on. We operate a store as a nonprofit to lower the cost of living for our region residents. And so every other place, every other business that we have in Alaska and in the lower 48, and, and we operate in four different countries as well, those are bringing home the profits. We don't want to make money off the backs of our shareholders. We want to support them in any way we can. And for us, that has been um, for in-region, making sure that any development is done responsibly. We have great partners in that at the tribal level and um, with Dalman Gold, that, that potential mine I mentioned, um, and then uh, just focusing on what is needed for them. So for us, success has been making sure we have a balance. We have that business aspect, we have the social aspect, and we have the cultural aspect all working together. Mm-hmm. Marina, um, you know, that cultural aspect that Andrea is talking about, do you see that playing out? Obviously, we just heard that Sea Alaska is trying to, uh, you know, implement it into the investment strategies that they undertake. But do you see that, um, you know, more collectively across sort of corporations, at least in your region, um, that cultural values are taking on a longer, a larger share of the sort of like boardroom conversation or, or is it not quite where you would want it to be? Oh, Marina, did we lose you? Oh, I think we lost Marina. All right. Well, well, Andrea, I guess I'll just, uh, you pretty much already touched on that topic, but is there anything there that, um, you know, you're just uh, noticing, especially as AFN's going on right now and, and conversations are happening across the state about, you know, these kind of collective issues and cultural values? I think as we see these, uh, the generations progress, um, in our region, we had some of our culture taken from us from um, boarding schools. And so we have an entire generation in the middle Kuskokwim that doesn't necessarily know our native languages. Um, and we have a mix of Yupik and Athabascan uh, people in our region. And so we had some of that culture taken from us. I think what we're seeing in the generations, my generation and then my children, um, is a, a need and a want to reconnect, no matter where we are, to our culture, the, the thing that keeps us steady um, and gives us strength. And so for us at the, the Cusco Cream Corporation, I think it's really important that we share those that culture and those values with all of our shareholders even with the shareholders who have never lived in the region. I grew up in the region. I grew up in Antioch. I have the connection to the river, but I, I work really hard every day to make sure that my sons who live here in Anchorage have that connection as well. We are the people of the middle Cuscoquim, and you don't ever have to have set foot and, and seen the river with your own eyes to know that you have roots there. And so I think as I talk about the social aspect that many corporations have taken on, it is that connection to each other and that connection to our culture and our traditions and our values in the boardroom and throughout the entire system of our businesses um, that govern the way that we operate. And that has been so important for us um, as we move forward and, and absolutely into the future. 
Mm-hmm. Marina, I think we have you back now. Sorry about the phone troubles, but uh, we're talking about, you know, the cultural values um, that are inherent to uh, Native organizations, but the fact that there seems to be a wider discussion, uh, like with Sea Alaska now, uh, about really implementing it into business aspects. And, and I'm just wondering, are you seeing that um, as a wider trend in your region, or uh, is Sea Alaska sort of kicking it off there to, to really get back to that? Thank you. Yeah, and I'm happy to be connected again. Um, as I I was trying to say, I those values, I believe, have always been in those boardrooms. I don't think there has been a single meeting or a day that's gone by since 1971 where those values have not been in the room. However, I do believe that the values are brought to the forefront and prioritized in decision-making more often today. And I do believe that it is other corporations in Southeast Alaska and probably throughout the state as well who are um, looking at those values with almost every single decision that is made today. All right. Okay. And we we need to take another short break. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk more about the future of ANCSA with Andrea Gusty, CEO and president of Kuskokwim Corporation, the Kuskokwim Corporation, and Marina Anderson, executive director of the Organized Village of Kassan. And remember, we want to hear from you, too. We only have a few minutes left in the show. But what perspective do you have to share on the 50th anniversary of ANCSA? Call us and let us know. The statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. And the local number is 550-8422. You can also email us at talk at alaskapublic.org. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Opioids are sometimes prescribed for pain. Common opioids include hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, fentanyl, and codeine. Never share your opioids with family or friends. It may cause addiction, trouble with the law, overdose, and death. Always securely store opioids away from children and others, and be sure to get rid of opioids as soon as you're done using them. Email projecthope at alaska.gov to learn how to safely dispose of opioids. This message sponsored by the State of Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter, and we are discussing the future of ANCSA with Andrea Gusty from the Kuskokwim Corporation and Marina Anderson from the organized village of Kassan. And uh, since we especially have uh, guests representing today um, a village corporation and a tribal organization, a federally recognized tribe, I want to discuss the relationship between tribes and corporations. And obviously they function differently, but the goals of each overlap considerably and they work closely together in communities all across the state. So uh, there's some tension that arises from that uh, sometimes. I spoke with State Representative Josiah Putkatuk, Uh, who represents the North Slope ahead of today's show, and he described ANCs as a third leg to the stool that helps bridge the gap between tribal and local government and the private sector. We also need to be cognizant of the fact that Alaska Native corporations, um, though they might not be as important in in, a a community like Anchorage, for example, um, they're a vital third leg on that stool to uh, majority of rural Alaska macro and microeconomies. 
So, Andrea, you mentioned uh, in an earlier conversation the silos that form between, um, you know, tribes and corporations. What do you mean by that? I think one of the consequences of ANCSA is all of a sudden overnight, in back in 1971, there was this dividing line created within Native communities, whereas all of a sudden there was the the corporate native and the tribal native, right? And so I think that it has taken us many years and, and 50 years, and it's probably going to take us many more years to realize and um, work towards everybody working together. The silos exist, but they don't have to. And Marina mentioned that in our most successful communities, both urban and rural, it's where everybody is working together. We are working for the same people. I am a tribal member of ANIAC. I am the president and CEO of our, of our Native Corporation, and I'm also a shareholder of the Regional Corporation, and as, as Marina mentioned, a, um, a citizen of the state of Alaska and the United States, right? So we are working towards the same people. And so we at the Cuscoquim Corporation have really, really prioritized and really worked over the last years to foster that partnership and that relationship with our tribes and our city governments in our community because there are opportunities that the corporation can bring to the table, that the tribe can bring to the table, and the city can bring to the table, and working together we can get it executed, whether that be um, road funding or um, the ice road that we're working on together with one of our tribes to connect all of our communities to Bethel some 150 miles away. Um, and so I think when we take our hats off, and look around, we will see that we are working alongside cousins and family members and friends for the same goal, and that is for the Native people and all of Alaska. I don't think you have to know anything about ANCSA or Native corporations or even tribal organizations to know um, that the corporations have had a positive financial impact on our state. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to go to the phones right now. We do have a caller. Uh, Kathy Hope is calling from Sitka. Hi, Kathy Hope. You're on Talk of Alaska. Hi. Thank you very much for um, taking my call and uh, appreciate all these programs in regard to the Settlement Act. And um, I also want to thank Sea Alaska for the admirable direction they're taking. I feel like they can be an example not only for other corporations, but for for tribal governments, too. Um, my grandfather uh, was a pivotal part of the effort to keep the land claims fight alive in Southeast uh, when we learned that AMB could not sue for land claims. Um, TNH, as a tribal, uh, regional tribal government, was formed um, decades ago, I believe 1940. And from that time and for several years, my father, uh, my grandpa was um, Andrew Hope. My dad was John Hope. He would type a resolution that would adjourn Grand Camp in midweek of their annual meeting and convene as Plinkett uh, and Haida. And this uh, kept the possibility of um, suing for land claims alive in Southeast Alaska. Hmm. And I remember my dad saying that his dad always um, said in regard to the settlement that if we get one dime, we will have one. And so this uh, kind of helps me in my um, 
in my inner peace when I get frustrated mm. with preparation. Mm-hmm. And I think we have one. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for that, Kathy Hope. I appreciate you calling in with that perspective. Uh, so, um, Marina, I want to uh, bring it back. And Kathy mentioned a little bit, Kathy Hope, the um, relationship. But, you know, in June, there was a U.S. Supreme Court ruling uh, that regional and village corporations were eligible to receive CARES Act funding that had been, you know, a bit of a fight. Um, and obviously, we don't have time to get into this super deeply. But I just sort of wanted to get your take on that, Marina. Uh, you know, some tribes felt that uh, this particular case sort of questioned tribal sovereignty. Thank you for that question. And again, I'm not speaking on behalf of my corporation or tribe here. Um, and I, I do understand where some tribes did feel that that is, is um, overstepping tribal sovereignty. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that corporations are recognized to a certain level by the federal government as tribes with some language. And I see how that was able to um, stand up. Something that I try to make sure that people understand, though, is that, yes, though a lot of our shareholders are also tribal citizens of our tribe, it does not always cross over that way. We have some shareholders who are not tribal citizens, and we do have some tribal citizens who are not shareholders or descendants of shareholders. So in that case specifically, I do believe that was beneficial so that the corporations could take care of their shareholders, especially those who are non-tribal citizens. Um, however, the questioning of um, sovereignty and such, that is, that is a much larger discussion Absolutely. that I would love to dive into at yep. another time. We could have a whole uh, program definitely on that topic. Well, Andrea, in about 30 seconds, did you have anything you wanted to add there? Unfortunately, we're coming up on the end of our time. I would just say that um, absolutely what Marina said is true, that we have shareholders that were not members of any tribe. They did not otherwise have access to that CARES money, and we did at the Cuscoquim Corporation receive a small amount, about 821000 and we have distributed all 821000 to our shareholders that were impacted um, by COVID. So I think, again, this is one of those cases where um, – both by the tribes and the corporations recognizing that we are working towards the same people, we can get the job done much better than we can apart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, there's certainly more uh, that we could have discussed today, and I'm sure uh, AFN, a lot of those conversations will be playing out there as well. That, uh, again, that conference ends today virtually. And that's it for today's program. I want to thank my guests, Marina Anderson and Andrea Gusty, for joining me and to the other people who weighed in. You can find more coverage of ANCSA's 50th anniversary, including this Talk of Alaska conversation series and a one-hour episode of Alaska Insight on alaskapublic.org slash ANCSA50. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, Annie Fight for producing today, and Kavitha George on the phones. I'm Adeline Baxter. Thanks for listening.
Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Thank you.